everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Vegan Proteins, Muscles by Brussels Radio. My name is Giacomo. And I'm Danny. And this is our 33rd episode. Hey, everybody, and welcome back. Appreciate you tuning in. Uh, I'm really happy that we're on episode 33, but it's funny that, you know, technically by now we should have been about twice that far along, but such is life, quality over quantity, I suppose, and um, as a lot of you guys probably know, this has been a really trying summer. Um, Since we got back from Plant Built, my father unexpectedly and very suddenly passed away, and that was like one of those life events that legit just stops you in your tracks completely like work life uh training everything kind of just came to a screeching halt for a few weeks there and you know it's it it sucked it sucked massively but these are things that happen in, in life, I suppose. What I really could have done without, on top of that, was getting Lyme disease uh, two weeks later. <laughs> like, talk about getting kicked while you're down. So that happened also. And I'm happy to report that I detected it really early. I don't know how somebody could not detect it. Um, in my research, I guess it seems like Lyme disease hits everybody differently. But to me, it went took me from completely fine to knocked me dead on my ass in a 12-hour period. And I was in the emergency room 24 hours after that. Um, so because we caught it early, they were able to treat it. I feel fine now. But it took, I would say, from the day my dad died to the day I was finally feeling like myself again was like a solid six weeks. So... Uh, that, that was a really, really tough six weeks. So we had this podcast planned much earlier, but we're just now getting to it because uh, we had to get back into our regular routines after that. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm super happy that Giacomo was able to really pick up the slack while I dealt with a lot of the things that were going on. I feel like it was more than just Lyme disease for you, actually, or, or maybe the Lyme disease was just that bad. I mean, I remember going to the doctor's appointment and she was like, this is one of the three most severe cases that she had seen all year. Mm -hmm. And I know she had seen far more than three cases. Um, Yeah, I mean, I'd never, I mean, we've been together for almost 10 years now and Mm -hmm. I have never seen you that, that physically ill, like that incapacitated. I mean, even mentally, it it messes, the bacterial infection messes with your ability to to think straight. Yeah, I mean, I was already in a really mentally dark place having just lost my dad. And like when something like that happens, when somebody who's so present in your life every single day goes from being, you know, there, like he was here, like many days a week, I should say. And then boom, they're just gone. Like you really start asking yourself some pretty serious questions (laughs) anyway. And ironically, I got bit by a tick assumedly while I was like out for a walk, just trying to get away from everybody and sort of process my thoughts. So talk about a kick in the dick that was. Um, But 
Yeah, so I already had all these sort of dark thoughts, and then I went from perfectly fine to, like, the sickest I had ever been in my life in 24 hours. And, like, for a minute there, I was pretty sure that it was the end. So I guess I'm glad that it wasn't. But, yeah, I was really, really sick. Um, Like, temperature, like, 103 point something temperatures that I haven't seen since, like, getting sick in elementary school, so... Uh, yeah, but I'm feeling a lot better now. Training stopped, completely stopped for, I don't think I touched a weight for like three weeks. And then I started with just body weight workouts. And even that felt like really, really brutal. Um, so I guess I'm very lucky that we caught it early and that it was able to just be treated with antibiotics and, uh, knock on wood, I feel, I would say I feel... Like maybe 98% maybe. Um, but a lot of people are not that lucky and they don't catch it early. And uh, the longer you have it untreated, I guess the worse the symptoms get or the harder they are to treat. I'm not really 100% sure on how that goes. But if, if anybody wants to fill me in, I'm happy to hear it. But yeah, I'm feeling way, way better. And hopefully uh, don't get bit by any more ticks. I mean, the ticks have been awful here. But still, the whole Lyme disease thing—it's like, and 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 the sheer irony of it. Like here you are, contemplating the meaning of life and like some sort of higher level of awareness, and you're racking your brain, and then you get bit by this bug that makes your brain dumb. Like just, I don't even. Yeah, get I, did, it. I got so weird. It was weird. It was very weird to feel so foggy in my head. You know, but when all you needed wanted was clarity to just like help process yeah, this what thing. What is the opposite of clarity? Getting it by a tick. <laughs> <laughs> Oh god. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I'm I'm finally feeling good about being back to training. Um, I tried to go like back to my regular five days a week with my you know regularly scheduled program, and pretty quickly was like, yeah, my recovery still kind of sucks. So I begrudgingly took it down to four days a week, and so far it seems to actually have been just such a good move for me as much as I don't like training only four days a week um, my recovery has just been great like every workout feels like such a high quality workout um, and also you know I fell behind in pretty much every aspect of my life that month so having an extra day where I'm not spending three hours at the gym has given me some more time to catch up on those things as well um in other news, Giacomo has a powerlifting meet next week. I do, don't I? I'm trying not to think about it. <laughs> I do this every single time I get ready for a meet. Well, I'm fine. Now you have to think about it and tell people about uh, it. All right, all right. <laughs> um, yeah, we're like, oh, geez, today's Friday, so it's next Sunday. So I'm that many days away. And I, I keep a little, my natural body weight is a little bit higher. Like, it's a little bit. Ab- it's a little bit above the weight class that I compete in. Like, you want to compete at the top end of your weight class because you want to be as strong as possible. That's how you're more competitive. And if so, you can. If you can. And, I mean, I, I only have to drop, you know, maybe 2% of my body weight in water. And, and so, basically, what I'm saying is I have to do a water cut, and that's kind of stressful. It's not a big deal, but, like, who likes feeling dehydrated? It's a shitty feeling. You know so what I mean? So, you are going to have to do a water cut? A little bit. Maybe, like, four or five pounds. Nothing crazy. Yeah, but it still sucks. And yeah. you stress it every time even though we've got it down to an absolute science where there's no possible way he's not gonna make weight he still stresses it 
every single time. He's jumping on and off the scale like every hour for three days. I think every single time my thing is I always make weight too early the night before. Yep. And I find myself like hyperventilating and like getting panicky like oh my god oh my god i feel like shit i'm gonna go to I sleep like this i have a headache give me gatorade give me gatorade and i yeah. wind up drinking like like that's like my go-to uh, it's it's systematic i make my weight the night before i get a panic attack so i can't fall asleep and then i drink eight ounces of gatorade yeah every freaking like three times in a row will i will i, will I do it for a fourth time while well, every time i'm <laughs> sitting there going you don't want to make weight this early yeah. you don't want to make weight this early i don't <laughs> like, want to miss it either you're not gonna Speaking about not missing, this is a, a meat that I would ordinarily have shied away from given all the shit that's been going on in our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, this stress has caught up to me and my strength um, my strength just like went into the shitter over the past month or two. Like, I don't want to hear about strength going in the shitter. Well, put it this <laughs> way. It's, it's not, I went from peaking to like going like way below what I normally lift and I would... I don't like going to a meet unless I'm confident that I've gotten stronger. Because otherwise, like, what's the point? You know, you go to a meet because you want to display your strength and it should be strong. You should have the ability to be stronger than your last meet. Anyway, um, this particular meet is regionals. You know, you have regional meets and national meets as far as, like, larger than just your local powerlifting meets. Regional means it's this section of the country means there's more competition. My coach said, look... Even if your even if your numbers aren't going to be what they were over at your last meet, you should do this meet for the experience, and that's pretty much why I'm doing this. I'm doing this for the experience of competing on a larger platform because I, I have aspirations to continue to do this on a you know a higher level. So, yeah, I'm obviously I'm very nervous about it. It's um, gonna be fine. All right, but you're gonna be fine. Here's hope. I don't I don't know I don't know about that. You are. Haven't you always spoke, do. Haven't spoken to my coach yet, so I'm definitely nervous about that, but. We'll see. We'll, uh, we'll get at it. Um, anyway, so yeah. today's podcast topic actually came from a conversation that I had while we were in Texas um, with Plant Built. Was, you know, we had the whole team there, and there was the bodybuilding team, powerlifting team, CrossFit team, kettlebell team. Um, what am I forgetting? Olympic lifting team. We were there and I didn't compete, but I had some people competing in bodybuilding and I kind of just helped out backstage with any bodybuilders that were on the plant built team, whether they were my clients or not, just helping make sure people had what they needed. They knew what was going on on stage. They were all oiled up and glued and all that stuff. And I was talking to some of the people from the other team, but other teams, and, uh, you know, talking about just what a weird sport it is. Because basically all the other teams, powerlifting, kettlebell, CrossFit, they all finish a lot earlier because only bodybuilding has the night show. So basically all of the other athletes end up over at the bodybuilding stage waiting for the bodybuilding team to finish. So they all get to see what a fucking weird sport it is. And that usually is a topic of conversation is like, what am I even watching right now? And because I wasn't competing, I was able to engage in these conversations. And I mean, we're 33 episodes in, we have spent so much time talking about kind of the negative or darker sides of bodybuilding. I think we've spent a lot of time on that and I'm sure we will spend a ton more time on it as well um, as we go forward. But a lot of people were like, well, if it's so weird, why do you like it? 
And I was like, I have so many answers for that. And so that is how this topic was born. And it is, you know, all of the things that we love about bodybuilding. Well, I mean, I think it's important for to hear your backstory. I mean, what, what even got you into it? You? I got you into bodybuilding? <laughs> I mean, competitively, yeah. I got into bodybuilding the way I think a lot of people do. You don't just wake up one day and go, I want a bodybuild. Like, most people don't say that. They, they wander into the gym. They start doing this or that. Uh, they kind of like the results they get, so they decide they want to become a little bit more serious about it and start doing some research, you know, maybe put together an actual training plan. And most of the time, the first training plans people do tend to be geared towards hypertrophy, um, building muscle, changing your aesthetic. I think most people mm -hmm. arrive at bodybuilding that way, whether or not they're even calling it that in the first place. Well, and I think it's, and I, you know, when I think of our topic today, I think about not bodybuilding as um, a hobby, like something you do at the gym because you enjoy it and you want to stay active and fit and you like changing your aesthetics. I think of it as a sport. And I think to myself, you know, what gets, what gets people into bodybuilding and uh, and the aftermath of that, like the people that stay in, I think are the people that truly love it. And I think the dark side of bodybuilding is the fact that a lot of people do just get into it because they're like, well, I'm working out, I'm growing my muscles, I'm changing my aesthetics, why don't I just go to this extreme and do it yeah. on stage? What's it the worst seems, thing that could happen? It seems like the next logical step. It seems like the next it's logical not. step. And, and that is something that you and I, um, spend a lot of time trying to help people avoid is yes. when you just automatically think that competing in bodybuilding is the next logical step. There are a plethora of pitfalls along that road. And I feel like a huge percentage of people fall right into it. And then they just end up saying like, fuck this sport. And they never come back and they have nothing but bad things to say about it. Yeah. I mean, like how many, coaches you think are out there that someone might approach and be like hey i, I want to do this thing and they're like yeah sure come mm -hmm. on we'll do it I'll, you know not knowing the repercussions that it could have in the person like for me i had a client sign up with me earlier this week and they and they were on the phone with me and they're like i'd like to do a bodybuilding competition and i just like immediately i had a serious conversation like you understand what you're getting into and you know, it's it's something that you really want to forewarn people about. But that is not what this podcast is about, Giacomo. We have made endless yep. podcasts yep. Yep. about that, okay? No, we got to talk about the people that get into it, regardless of how they got into it, and why they stick with it, basically. No, Liz, about why you and I okay. love bodybuilding. All right. Fair enough. If we know all of this shit, if we know all these angry, dark alleys <laughs> that people can go down... And often do go down. What is it that you love about bodybuilding? Okay. Hmm. Well, bodybuilding for me is more than just a sport. Um, it's a lifestyle, actually. And bodybuilding challenges me. I think, you know, I hate to compare it against other sports because each sport has its own lifestyle. But to me, I feel like it is imperative to your success on stage um, that you get your shit together, like in every possible way. Like you can't slack anywhere 
if you want to bring your best possible package, you have to be aware of how you eat. You have to be aware of when you're hungry and when you're not. You have to be aware of how much you sleep. Like, you know, you really have to keep tabs on. So what you're saying is it's a lifestyle. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but um, I don't I don't know that it necessarily is that way in other sports in the same way it is with that it, mo- I, I So I have a list of things here. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of what I wrote here is different than other sports. Like you could say a lot of things for other sports that are the same as with bodybuilding that are cool. Like I like lifting weights. Well, there are lots of sports where you can lift weights and do those sports and where lifting weights is those sports. But I think that different from other sports, bodybuilding is a 24 seven job. And not to say that you couldn't turn other sports into 24 seven jobs. I'm sure there are lots of especially professional athletes who have turned their sports into 24 seven jobs, Mm -hmm. but maybe they didn't have to, to be successful at that sport. And for most people, other than the very freaky few genetically blessed people, you cannot be successful at bodybuilding if you have not structured your entire life around being successful at bodybuilding if you're a tennis player like yeah you have to pay attention to your sleep yeah you have to make sure that you're eating enough to support your training and obviously you have to train but when you are done your training session you get to go home and you're not training for tennis anymore Mm. i mean the higher up that you get yeah you're probably dedicating a fair amount of time to like rehab work massage therapy that sort of stuff But with bodybuilding, every calorie that you burn or don't burn or every bite that you take or don't take and what is in every bite that you take and how much sleep are you getting and how much time are you spending in a certain stage of sleep to support recovery, to support muscle growth, um, every little bit of your life, especially depending on the time of year, needs to be structured around bodybuilding for yourself to be successful and the other thing about this is like wow that sounds really fucking obsessive that's what i was about to say like that's not like that's an awful lot of work danny why do that well i think when you first get into it you have to be obsessive you have to be obsessive if you're going to be successful at it because like any other skill that you would ever have to learn you have to pay attention to every single thing that you're doing think about the first time you tried to ride a bike you had to think about holding the handlebars right and making sure that you were like pedaling just so and balancing the bike right like you had a lot of shit going on in your head while you were learning to ride the bike and if you didn't you probably weren't going to be very successful at riding that bike but now you hop on a bike and you just go. You don't think about any of those things whatsoever. The thing is, is that with bodybuilding, it is a lot more time consuming at first because you have to think about it all day, every day. And, you know, that's one of those rabbit holes somebody can go down and never come back out of. But if you continually strive for some kind of balance, if you do it knowing that eventually this is going to get easier, eventually this is going to rent less space in my brain, and eventually a lot of these things that I'm doing are just going to become a habit, 
without me having to put so much effort into them, then eventually you get closer to a place where you can achieve that balance. And also because you've learned how to do that, because you've learned how to go through those sort of obsessive stages, like you know how to go there. You know how to take it there when you have to take it there. You know how to push when it comes time to push and you know how to back off when it comes time to back off. Um, a lot of people will ask me at this point, like this far into the off season, like, oh, do you track this? Or how much cardio are you doing? That's a big one. How much cardio are you doing? And I'm like, Cardi what? Like, mm -hmm. I don't even consider doing cardio right now. Um, or tracking food, like I will loosely track food. Some days I don't track food. Um, but when the time comes, like, I know how to just go there. I know how to be incredibly detail oriented. Well, I think you bring up a good point. Um, you know, in, in contrast to other sports, like you take other sports and you basically just have to get better and better at your practice. I would say for the bulk of your focus, like you're trying to swing a tennis racket, you just have to swing it several tens of thousands of times and, and it will get better and better and better. And yes, from a time standpoint, you have to spend arguably perhaps just as much time, you know, doing this thing. But I think with bodybuilding in the beginning, you have to spend a great deal of time building your base, building your foundation. Um, and not, not just your physical foundation. Right, your habits. Yeah. Taking time to build your habits. Like you have to learn them then you have to apply them. Then you have to know how to apply them without obsessing over them after you've obsessed over them. And that's, that's like a lot of people, uh, challenging. a lot of people compare it, um, like a bodybuilding lifestyle, not bodybuilding itself, but, um, they say that it's very like militant. Like it remind like there, a lot of people ha I have heard say nothing short of the military will teach you discipline the way bodybuilding will teach you discipline. And I've never been in the military, so I cannot say whether or not that's true. I'm sure there are other things as well. Well, the fact that like you're the only one that's probably yelling at yourself and no one else, you know? I mean, in the military, you have someone giving you orders. But I mean, there are so many rules mm -hmm. in the military, right? There's mm -hmm. so many things you have to do just so to spec. Like, have you ever seen somebody in the military make their bed? No, but I would imagine it is perfect yeah. and it has to be perfect. And if it's not perfect, somebody's going to come in and rip your bed apart and throw it on the floor. Uh, and I'm not saying we should do that, but I'm saying like all these little things that maybe you just wouldn't necessarily think about, you know, they have rules for them in the military, the enough. way that in bodybuilding, all these things that most people wouldn't even think about, like, Everybody has their own rules, but you have very specific ways that you do things mm. um, specific to your goals. And I think that years of practicing those things and knowing when to turn it on and knowing when to turn it off, um, it teaches you how to find balance sure. in a very practical way. And of course, it doesn't have to. If you don't want to learn how to find balance, you can go down that rabbit hole of obsessive control and I promise it will shoot you in the foot. But if you're aware of it as it's happening, like I'm sure you and I have both, I know I have gone through phases where I'm like, 
wow, I'm spending a disproportionate amount of my brain time <laughs> on things that are bodybuilding related. And that's, I understand why I'm doing it, but it's pretty fucked up mm. and probably not really good for me in the long run. And then deliberately had to learn how to try and find that balance. Whereas a lot of times in life, we don't really like try to find balance or a lot of times if people do try to find balance it's in a very giving up one thing to do something else maybe yeah like they're finding balance but maybe not accomplishing a lot yeah, yeah you know yeah. what i mean yeah and not that that's a bad thing but like what if you want to find balance and still accomplish a lot i feel like bodybuilding teaches you how to hopefully how or it can teach you i should say how to find balance with training with life and of course the discipline you learn in bodybuilding crosses over into other things or can cross over into other things like work mm -hmm. um it brings awareness sometimes to how much maybe you didn't pay attention to your friends and family during a prep for example and then you're like oh well, next time I do this, I have now decided I will make a conscious effort to spend more time with friends and family during my next prep. So you're like very deliberately finding balance, but because bodybuilding is also still a big goal, you continue to hopefully keep achieving big things at the same time. You know, an another thing, and I think this is kind of what gets me to my roots of why I got into it in the first place is... Um, is body acceptance, believe it or not. And this is going to be something that uh, could potentially be triggering and up for debate because a lot of bodybuilding is literally taking what you have and changing it. So It's funny because <laughs> I have the exact same thing on my list. I don't list. see it that way. You know, I guess I could see how people would look at bodybuilding being like, well, you know, you were built a certain way. Why are you forcing your body into doing something that it wouldn't be doing like, why are you manipulating it so much to change when, you know, I mean, that's not necessarily accepting your physique as is, but I don't see it that way. I mean, if anything, bodybuilding is an, is, is an enhance, is me enhancing myself and me becoming the best physical version of myself and also shaping and molding myself the way that I want to look um, within my genetic means. So in what way has bodybuilding taught you acceptance body acceptance well for one i got into bodybuilding because i didn't like the way i look which, which i think is really common incredibly common i mean i would say it is the reason most people get into bodybuilding yeah well initially it, it wasn't just that though um i was actually um persuaded to get into bodybuilding um i didn't even i didn't even know the first thing about lifting weights i didn't even know it was like a thing at all when i was in high school um but all I knew is that I had very low self-esteem, um, mainly because I was picked on a lot in, in high school. And my music teacher was this big jacked fit looking person and I wanted to make it on the tennis team. And uh, one day our high school got a gym and my teacher saw, saw like that I was looking to become more athletic. And he just took me into the, the weight room and got me into the sport basically. I had no idea what I was getting into or that I was, I was even capable of changing my body by that way. And then I started to get into it. 
And then I realized just just how much, I just how uncomfortable I was in my own skin, and it got way worse before it got better. Mm-hmm. Way Same. worse. Same. Like I mean, that path got dark, but the aftermath when I finally worked through this over the latter portion of a decade, ten years, Danny, ten years of of basically liking myself less, eventually hating myself, and then like just wanting to throw in the towel with body image altogether and quit this sport, eventually. I, I persevered, you know, into my adulthood and I wound up where I am today where I am like so accepting of my body as is that I, I couldn't be any happier about it. And it's only because of the sport that I got into. What about you, Danny? Uh, well, for me, by the time I got into competing, like bodybuilding competitively, I guess, by the time I got to that, I had already worked through most of my like body image stuff personally. Um, like I had mentioned, I think I've mentioned it on this podcast before. I mean, I know I've mentioned I grew up very overweight, but I literally did not care. I was totally cool with my body. It wasn't until I lost a significant amount of weight that I actually started to have like real bad body image issues. Um, and that's why I started lifting weights in the first place. So I guess technically you could say that I was bodybuilding during uh, some of the like worst body image times that I had, but I wasn't considering doing it competitively um, because my body image was so bad that I did not imagine that in a million years I could ever compete in bodybuilding. Um, but fast forward of working through all that stuff, which we could do a whole nother podcast episode just on that alone. But by the time I got to the point where I was competing, um, there was such a huge gap. There's such a huge space between what my body looked like on stage and what my body looks like in the off season. They are very different. Some people's are, some people look a lot closer to the way they look on stage in the off season. And some people look even more different than I do from the time they're on stage to the off season. And if you let it, that can totally screw with your head. And again, we're talking about another rabbit hole here that a lot of people fall down and I don't blame them for it because they don't see it coming. But, um, you know, you repeat that for a few cycles and you really learn to value your body image, to value not even just your body, but to value even your body image in season when you're a lean bean and in the off season where you just have a lot more to you, you can see the beauty in both physiques and um, definitely you can feel the difference in both physiques, like internally and how much energy you have and your quality of sleep. So even though a lot of people feel like they want to look stage lean all the time, until you've actually felt that way, until you have lived your life as a female at like 10% body fat, uh, you don't know if you want to live like that. How could you possibly, because you have no idea what it feels like. And to this day with my clients that are like competing for their first season, by the time the season is over, they are literally, especially the females are just like, holy shit, that feels bad. Uh, And it does feel bad. And you need to know that it feels bad to know you don't want that. 
like until you felt that shitty, you see these, you know, models or, or bikini competitors or figure competitors and you go, hell yeah, I want to look like that. Why wouldn't you? Like, if you like muscles and you like lines and you like veins, like that looks really cool until you are that. And then you're like, oh, this feels like shit. This isn't worth the life trade-off that I'm giving for this. I'm trading off so much of my life to look like this. And just by feeling that way, you learn to appreciate your body when it does not look like that so much more. And uh, outside of that, also, uh, other people's bodies, looking at your competitors' bodies, and although many would argue, but yeah, in general, bodybuilding bodies are all very similar, and they wouldn't be wrong in the grand scheme of things versus like the general population has a much wider variety of bodies. When you get into the nuance of like bodybuilding physiques and even breaking it down in categories, I can see so many differences between my physique and my competitor's physiques. You know, Simone Collins, we compete in the same category um, and we both do pretty well in our respective categories. And the category is very specific in the body type they are looking for. But Simone and I, we don't look alike, even though we have, I guess we have sim some similar characteristics. Like our bodies are very, very, very different. And you learn to appreciate all of the differences you know what I mean? And it, I definitely see it in other categories as well, particularly in women's bikini and men's physique, where it isn't such a strict criteria for them. You do see a lot of different body shapes up there. And you, if you see enough of it, you learn to really appreciate it. And just how far each, each individual has taken their personal physique, not just like how close they've gotten to what this typical image right. is for their, their category. Mm -hmm but where they have taken their individual aesthetics Well, too. I feel like I've learned that from coaching. Mm -hmm. Like, just from getting so many progress pictures of people every single week, I have learned to appreciate so many different body types, body shapes, um, different genetic predispositions in the way we like store body fat or build muscle or burn body fat. Um, and I just would not have necessarily learned any of that had it not been for bodybuilding. I wouldn't have been exposed to this many body types in the first place. Yeah, I mean, it's basically like an admiration of the human body and knowing full well that every single body is built a little different, mm -hmm. you know, and you get to see how each person can take that that unique structure that they were given with uh, and and you know I, I do also think with it's it. like a it's like a first step I think towards um, true body acceptance where you appreciate all bodies of all shapes and sizes regardless of where they would fit into a bodybuilding category um, you know, I think that for a lot of people getting into bodybuilding, like you first get into it with this very narrow 
idea of what a body should look I like. I have to look that way to win, and, or and then just, you start to pick yourself apart if you don't look like the, the statue or something. Or just like, this is what a female body looks like to look good. Mm. This is what a male body has to look like to look good. And, uh, you know, I definitely remember having those thoughts some 10 years ago. I'm sure you did as well. And most people who start lifting weights have a very clear end goal. This is what I want to look like. This is what I should look like. Yeah, I mean, there right? was a very long period of time where I picked apart, like, just where my muscle insertion points are and the way they looked. And, like, how is that ever going to change? I wouldn't even... Instead of thinking about how I could look over the course of years as I enhance my own physique, I regretted the way I looked in some areas of my body and celebrated it in other areas, if that makes any sense. Very narrow scope of what is or isn't beautiful. And then the more immersed in the bodybuilding culture you become, the more... Um, the more f different physiques you see. Maybe they're only slightly different. Like, yeah, I get that. Um, but also, I think a lot of people get into other sports through bodybuilding. Like, most of the powerlifting friends that I have started with bodybuilding. Hmm. Uh, several of the Olympic weightlifting friends that I have started through bodybuilding. Because, like, you get ready, you get ready, you get ready for this competition and now you have all this discipline you've been pouring into this competition and now the competition is over and people start looking for other sports to do in their off season and then once you start branching out you see lots of different athletic body types mm -hmm. and you know you can just keep building upon that in what you learn to appreciate i guess and not everybody will obviously and maybe that was just unique to my own journey but believe it or not bodybuilding is what led me to the you know health at every size movement for example and maybe that's atypical i'm not sure but that's how it went for me personally so um but one of the things you just mentioned was like accepting things that you couldn't change about your body like your muscle insertion points nothing you can do about that and i do think that that is kind of one of the cool things about bodybuilding also is not only is bodybuilding obviously an incredibly controlling sport like you want to have control over all of the variables right mm -hmm. so it's a very obsessive sport um, so many would say like, oh, well, that is very disordered. And yes, it can be um, because it's like you feel this need to control everything. And obviously like, hello, life, we can't control everything. But what I like about bodybuilding is that you, it, it gives you the ability or it gives you, I suppose, the motivation to control what you can control. And also eventually, <laughs> eventually you just have to accept the things you cannot control. Um, otherwise, you're going to just keep spinning your wheels into the ground trying to change things you can't change and being real bummed out about it. And this sort of goes way back to what I was saying about just like being mindful of your thoughts and your actions and your behaviors early on when maybe those thoughts, actions, and behaviors are not the healthiest. Um, if you if you are mindful of them and of changing them, then you can move to these 
much better places where, yeah, I'm going to control the macros that I eat, but I'm also going to accept the fact that uh, I store more fat in my upper body than most women do. There's nothing I can do about that, and I completely accept it. Um, you accept that you have high lats. You know, there's nothing. <laughs> there's, you know, you can try to build them, but they're always going to be high lats, uh-huh. and you accept that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that the again, just if you let it, if you let it, and if you fall, if you keep following it, and you don't give up, or you don't get sucked down a rabbit hole too far, like you can really learn so much balance from bodybuilding um, because it is so innately unbalanced. Like you have to put so much effort into balancing it that like if you can do it, you're like a fucking balancing Zen master God. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, it's uh, I think it'd be a little harder to sell it to the general public just because it is such an extreme sport and well, it is so inherently unbalanced. I will say this. I don't think the general public listens to our podcast. I think it's athletes of one sort or another. Mm-hmm. Probably mostly vegan ones of that. <laughs> so, I mean, they're already pretty down with doing things differently. Yeah. So, um, let's see. Okay. This one is going to be very specific to me and not you. Okay. I love bodybuilding because it is so like saying fuck you to feminine norms. Hmm. For my category in figure, um, for uh, the bikini category is actually relatively new. I don't think a lot of people know that. The bikini category was only added like five years ago. It was brand new five years ago. Crazy. I know. Um, And I feel like a lot of people will disagree with me here. And that's fine because I understand that there is a lot of um, objectification that happens in bodybuilding, particularly with women, particularly with the bikini women. Um, And I have strong feelings about that. But for figure, physique, bodybuilding, like you are eschewing gender norms just by participating. The number of women that I have had tell me I don't want to look like you is a ton of women that don't want to look like me because I have too much muscle. I am too bulky. Um, which is funny to me because I want more bulk (laughs) so that I can do better in my category. I remember you talking to me about this like four years ago. You were like, what's going to happen when I continue to change my shape and I have to respond to people or acknowledge people when they like, I look at me like they don't want to look at me or say they don't want to look like me because you're challenging me. Yeah. I mean, I've had people comment on my Instagram pictures and say like, Oh manly. Or like if I'm close to a competition, they'll just be like, Oh gross. And I see it happen to my friends all the time. And it's interesting because a lot of people think that bodybuilding, um, sets these crazy unrealistic expectations of what a 
person should look like when really it's really not an unrealistic expectation of what people should look like because most people don't want to look like that. The unrealistic expectations of what someone should look like would be closer to like a really famous actress or something. Like people are not putting Nicole Wilkins up there and being like, Oh yeah, she's really influencing young teenage girls to do fucked up shit to their bodies. Like, no, what she's doing is influencing young teenage girls to go, ew, gross, because they don't want to look like that. And, you know, it. I think it takes a lot of guts to just say like, screw you. I really like lifting weights. Mm-hmm. I really like muscles on women. And I really don't give a shit what you think. Mm-hmm. And then to show up on show day... And put on high heels and a sparkly bikini is, to me, it is just so ironic every single competition that I do it at because I can't speak for everybody, but my friends that compete in figure and physique and bodybuilding, most of the time, we just look like a bunch of tomboys. Um, Like sweaty ratty hair in the gym lifting weights and grunting in the mirror and scaring off the dudes around us (laughs) but then for the competition you got to look all glitzed and glammed and girly and to me it's just you know redefining what femme can be you know what i mean yeah um and i mean i certainly wouldn't want to live my life in a sparkly bikini and high heels every day ew that's awful. That's one of the worst parts of the competition. But, um, you know, it's it's one way of saying, like, I am feminine. This is feminine, so fuck you. Um, and I really like that. I really like that a lot. Yeah. Thanks for that perspective. I guess I never thought of it that way. Not a problem. What else you got? Another challenge that I thoroughly enjoy about the bodybuilding lifestyle is that we really are pushing our limits. You know, um, I mean, the human body is capable of so much more than most challenge it to be capable of. Um, And bodybuilding is just one of those activities that you can really surprise yourself with. And, And moreover, you really have to put the work in to get there. It's like, you know, every single time you get to a certain place in your, um, you know, in your conditioning or with your strength or with your muscle size, like there's going to become, there's going to, you eventually get to these plateaus, to these tipping points where your body's like, fuck you, I'm not changing. And if you try to do something differently, you're going to pay the price. You're either going to get hurt or you're going to be in too much pain to keep going on, like whatever it is. And you know, you have to like get creative. You have to figure out, all right, I got to stretch this area this way, or I have to um, train while I'm partially injured, but modify my training so that I can continue to progress so that when this injury is done, I can get to the next level. Like bodybuilding to me is it's this delicate balance of taking your body to its maximum potential and and having these hurdles that get bigger and bigger along the way because the more advanced you become with it, 
you know, the, the harder it becomes to continue to advance. And, um, you know, it's, it's basically just taught me a lot of lessons in life. Um, and it's given me the kind that confidence has carried over to other facets of my life. Whereas normally I hit a roadblock, whether it's in work, um, in my relationship, um, or relationships, um, in my perspective about just about damn near anything where it's like, there is nothing that's impossible. Like, yeah, my body will get to a point in bodybuilding where I am stuck and it will fight me tooth and nail and it will punish me over and over again. But if I keep finding ways to get my, my body to keep moving, it'll get there. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a lot of problem solving that goes into bodybuilding that maybe wouldn't necessarily happen in other sports. And um, I can actually uh, use one of my clients as an example. He's a power lifter and he has torn his glute medius. Okay, that's a sport, power lifting. He's torn his glute medius. He cannot squat or deadlift right now. What's he going to do? He can't compete in powerlifting. Mm -hmm. If you can't squat or deadlift, you cannot compete in, I mean, he can still do a bench press competition, but he can't compete in a full meet. Yeah. If he was a bodybuilder and he had torn his glute medius and he couldn't squat or deadlift, there is still a lot of stuff that we could do to continue to build up pertinent areas. Um, you know, I have a lot of clients who are like, oh, my hip or my knee, like my back, I can't squat. So they feel like they're doomed because they can't squat. But you don't, there is no exercise. There is no exercise you have to do to be a good bodybuilder. So even though we have these exercises that maybe are like real heavy hitters in terms of hypertrophy, like the squat, like the deadlift, if somebody can't do them, we will find different ways to work those muscles. Um, you know, also in powerlifting, if you can't lift heavy, what's the point? You can't do it. Mm -hmm. But if you have maybe something wrong, an injury, and you can't lift heavy, uh, my elbow, my elbow is all kinds of screwed up right now. It actually makes it so I can't squat heavy. And I know that sounds silly, but the way you hold the bar, if your elbow is injured, it really hurts. Um, and it makes all things that I do with my elbow hard, but I can do occlusion training for my biceps, curl eight pound dumbbells and have growth in my biceps. Like that's quite a problem solving. That's, that's quite a workaround for an injury that wouldn't fly in another sport. You know, if you break your ankle, if you have to get surgery on a body part, it can knock you out of the game completely depending on your sport. Um, but there are very few things that can completely take you out of the game. Like very few injuries that can completely take you out of the bodybuilding game. And I mean, I think with bodybuilding, it's constantly like pushing to the point where you're just the total pounds you lift for the day just keeps going up and up and up. So it's inevitable that you will have to switch exercises. And that's mm -hmm. kind of the beauty of the sport, yeah. you know, like just switching the exercises and continuing to, to achieve growth. And lastly, my thing that I really love about bodybuilding is just all the science behind it and how the science is constantly changing. And I mean, this is true for all kinds of sports, not just bodybuilding at all, but I have found it to just be such an interesting adventure in data collecting on myself, on my clients, 
um, to see what works well, what does not work well in terms of food, in terms of sleep, in terms of training, um, reading new research that is coming out all the time and trying to implement it, seeing if it works for me or not. Because I feel like bodybuilding is such a fine combination of like science, motivation, and life application, like realistic application. Like I don't care if something is perfect on paper, if I try it and it doesn't work for me, then it doesn't work for me. Um, if the science says something absolutely will not work, but it works for me, then it works for me. Um, maybe there's something you've never even heard of and you read about it and you try it and you're like, holy shit, that's awesome. Um, and there's no instant gratification. There is no instant gratification with bodybuilding at all. If there has ever been something to teach you patience, like bodybuilding's up there. Mm. You know, I'm this two years into my off season now. Like I had to wait. I'm not going to compete for another. I competed in summer of 2015. So yeah, I'm two years in my off season. I'm probably not going to compete until next summer. Well, that's another thing that people don't realize. They see you like with this fit body and they're like, oh, it took so long to get fit. So like, are they competing again? Are they competing again? Like you have what? 10 minutes of stage time on average for a show. Maybe if you're like really good at this in advance, you compete three, four, five times a year at most. But mm -hmm. that half an hour of stage time you spend three years on because mm -hmm. you need that amount of time just to get yeah. there. So a lot of people like to boil bodybuilding down in their minds to the few weeks leading up to a competition. And I that's the part most people see. That's the part most people's eyes are drawn to. But it's like right now, two years into my off season, this is bodybuilding. Mm -hmm. It's not glamorous. It's not a show. I'm not ripped. Uh, I'm not tan. I'm not taking a bunch of selfies and posting them in the mirror. But you better believe this is bodybuilding through and through. Mm -hmm. um, and just because it's not all the glitz and glam that most people like to think about doesn't mean that that's not what is happening. Um, and I think if people took a step back and looked at the whole picture, they might have a more positive view on bodybuilding as a sport. Before we move on to the rest of the podcast, we have a very special announcement from Plant Built team member, Sarah Lee. Sarah Lee is on our kettlebell team, and she is easily the most badass vegan lifter that I know. Um, Sarah Lee actually unofficially set a kettlebell world record with us in Texas with Plant Built. She has also gone above and beyond in so many ways for the vegan kettlebell lifting community, um, working with companies to get special vegan shoes made, um, special vegan belts made that are specific to kettlebell sport, and now... Her and some of our other Kettlebell team members have put together uh, what they're calling the Global Vegan Lift, and I will let her tell you more about that now. Hi, I just wanted to invite everybody to an event we have coming up called the Vegan Global Lift. This will be May 5th, 2018. The concept of this event is sort of plant-built turned inside out. So with plant-built, we have the a small cross-section of athletes representing the whole of vegan lifters, whereas with this, every lifter can literally represent themselves in, the, in their hometown. 
we've got our eye on the IKLF Ironman event. This is the biggest endurance event in kettlebell sport, and they've already sanctioned us to do this, and we're just going to take it over. We're going to flood the roster with vegan names, all lifting under the same team name, which will be Kettlebell Vegans. And um, the way they determine, determine the winner is they tabulate the total tonnage. So there are six rounds of 10 minutes each, jerk, snatch, and clean and jerk, all in both single and doubles. Normally with kettlebell sport, is you get 10 minutes, but you only get to switch hands one time if it's a single bell lift, and you can't ever put the bells down. However, with this event, you're allowed to put the bells down, you're allowed to switch hands as much as you want to, so it's really beginner-friendly. But this is really where we shine. Vegans are known for our recovery and endurance and stamina, and this is something that people will notice. They'll notice that they just saw you lift, oh, and they just saw you lift again, oh, and they just saw you lift again. Whereas, you know, they did their one or two sets and they're tired. They cannot imagine getting on the platform five more times. So this really makes an impression on people. The first time that I lifted Iron Man, um, it was just me and one other lady who was also vegan. And I said to myself, you know, there, there has to be something to this. And so it is something that people notice. Even if you've never lifted kettlebells before, Please don't worry, we've totally got you covered. We've got everything from Kettlebell 101, we've got some lift demos, and full training is all going to be available on um, IG, on the page uh, Vegan Global Lift, and also under the hashtag couch to bolt Ironman. So we've got everything covered. If, if you've never swung a bell before, please feel like you're invited to this. There will be full training available starting October 1st. It's going to be in three tracks. So the first track is going to be light and fast. This is going to be a track uh, for if you're wanting to maximize your score and lift in sprints. So you'll lift really quickly and then put the bells down and then pick them back up and then lift really quickly and put them down and rest and come back to it for the duration of the time. The second track will be the slow and heavy track. This is for maybe you're an experienced lifter or uh, you want to do some or all of your events with sort of the classic kettlebell sport rules where you don't put the bells down and you do only do one switch per hand. And then our third track is going to be a multi-sport track. And this is for maybe if you have another sport that is your primary focus, however you want to participate in the Vegan Global Lift, or you want to just, you know, use kettlebells to enhance your performance in your primary sport. Kettlebells are actually really fantastic cross-training. They're really good for posterior chain development, really good for grip strength, cardio. You can use it as hit training. It's a really, really great way to get, you know, lean and strong. And it's a lot more fun than, you know, running on the treadmill. You know, we have the joke, you know, what do you what do you do for strength training? Oh, I lift weights. So what do you do for cardio? I, I lift weights faster. That's really true in kettlebell sports. So if, if you, you know, really hate the treadmill, this would be some good uh, cardio for you. You can connect on the Kettlebell Vegans Facebook group. Some of the training will also be listed there, and we're going to try to post some to the um, vegan bodybuilding and fitness page as well. However, you know, it'll be kind of harder to keep track of those. These workouts are going to be posted twice a week, starting from October 1st to May 1st. 
You'll also be able to find more information on this event and tips in the November-December issue of uh, Vegan Health and Fitness Magazine. If you're ready to get started, you'll need to go to iklf.co. That's their website, and um, we're looking for Worlds, which will be again May 5th, 2018. Find what locations are available at this time. It's continually changing. We're adding new sites all the time. So find the location that's closest to you. If there's not a location that's close to you, you need to write to um, Denise Eccles. Her email address is belljockey at gmail.com. You're also welcome to write to me. Um, my name is solarpoweredsarah at gmail.com. When you register, register under the team name Kettlebell Vegans and you'll be sent a um, digital file to print your own shirt. Uh, show up on May 5th, lift your heart out. This is a rare opportunity to globally come together as one voice and individually in your hometown make a statement for our way of life and how great living on plants can be for your athletic performance. Thanks everybody. See you on the 5th. So how awesome is that? Uh, thanks guys for listening. There was a lot of detail in there and it's all going to be in the show notes, which you can find either on iTunes or at veganproteins.com under the podcast page, episode 33. Be sure to check it out. This is going to be a really cool event. Okay, moving on to our product review this week. We are going to be reviewing the Aster Wrist Wraps, uh, A-S-T-E-R. And these were actually sent to Giacomo, but I am the one who has been using them and I absolutely freaking love them. So what they are is they are industrial strength wrist wraps. They are stiffer than wrist wraps I have used in the past. Um, and they have a long Velcro piece, so you don't have to tuck them in or anything like that. But I think most wrist wraps have Velcro at this point. Um, but the coolest thing about them for me is rather than have a little thumb loop, they have a bigger loop that your whole hand could fit in. And what this allows when you're using them as wrist wraps is it allows you to make the wrist wraps tighter and um, more secure, I guess. If you've ever put on wrist wraps with the little thumb loop and then had to take your thumb out because in competition you can't have your thumb in, mm -hmm. uh, and then they kind of come undone on you, these don't do that because um, you can just pull it back over your wrist instead. What I have been using them for is the, the hand loop rather than the thumb loop is so big that I've been using it as an elbow wrap. So I bring the loop all the way up to about mm, three inches higher than my elbow. And then I wrap my whole elbow. Like I mentioned earlier, it's injured. So um, I've been doing this with squats specifically and it has made such a huge different and difference. And they're on and off in just a couple seconds. Um, rather than trying to wrap knee wraps around my arm, for example, which I did do, it worked, but it was a huge pain in the ass and they were way too long. So this worked super, super well. So although I haven't actually used these wrist wraps as wrist wraps, maybe I will do that soon. I just don't really use wrist wraps um, 
but I was so happy to see that they could be used as elbow wraps that that's the main thing that I've been using them for. And they really, really are stiff. Like I wouldn't even want to keep it on my elbow for more than as long as my set is because you're able to make it tight enough that it kind of starts to make your forearm and your hand a little bit numb, which I wouldn't suggest doing that for long periods of time. But for my set, it's perfect because it really keeps my elbow super, super secure. If you are in the market for new wrist wraps, or if you're looking for an elbow wrap even, I would 100% recommend checking these out. Uh, so far, I haven't found anything else that quite compares to them. They're based in the UK, so to get them shipped to the States might cost a little bit, um, but it looks like they're about $30 a pair, 20 pounds a pair, which is about $30, I believe, right now. And uh, which is actually pretty reasonable. Like I feel like the Inzer wrist wraps were about that much. Yeah. And they don't do half the stuff these things do. So we will definitely post a link to these wraps. Um, not a whole ton that you can say about wrist wraps other than like, wow, these wrist wraps are really, really great. But they're IPL approved, they're USPA approved. Um, and they also double as elbow wraps, which to me is like, hell yes. Um, and I think that once you try the bigger thumb loop or the hand loop rather, as they call it, I don't think you will ever go back. It's just so much better. Um, but I think that's it about these guys. We will definitely link to them in the podcast notes. And if you want to follow them on Instagram to learn a little bit more about them, I feel like once you actually see them in action, they make way more sense than me just talking about them. Their Instagram is Aster Athletic, all lowercase, all one word, A-S-T-E-R-A-T-H-L-E-T-I-C. Moving on to our questions, we have a question from some anonymous person here. It says, I need some help. This is my second week of being vegan and I'm struggling. I love all fruits, veggies, and grains and have been dabbling in new recipes, but I'm not sure I'm noticing a positive change and I'm worried I'm consuming too many carbs and not enough protein. I've done a lot of research and I don't want to give up on the lifestyle change, but it's almost becoming more of a stress than a positive change. Also, I've noticed a spike in my hunger recently, and it makes it hard to prevent a binge. I'm just hoping for some insight um, from those who have experienced similar thoughts or struggles and how they dealt with it. Hmm. <clears throat> okay. Well, I guess the first question that someone would want to ask themselves in uh, this position is, one, were you tracking... Were you, were you tracking your food at all before you went vegan? Meaning, do you know how many calories you were consuming? Do you know just how much protein and carbs you were consuming? Um, or do you not? If you do, um, then it'll give you something to go off of, off of. But even if you don't, either which way, what I would do is I would literally keep a food journal. I would I would get a food journal, um, write in it for about a week, write down everything you're you're taking in and figure out just how much you're eating. And then you can adjust it from there. Um, I think the other thing that's worth mentioning is that, you know, I think just eating different foods in general takes time to get used to. So I think after you keep your, your food journal and you take a look at what you're really eating, you can sort of adjust from there. Um, when it comes to plant-based foods, they tend to be much more fibrous. 
it, it's really hard to say what's happening here to this particular uh, person. But I mean, one, one thing that could happen is you could think that you're eating a lot because the food is tends to be more voluminous and more fibrous. If you're going heavy on like, say the, the veggie side uh, and like beans and, and greens and stuff, for example, like you could wind up having giant plates of food and that's what you're used to putting on your plate. But like you're eating maybe almost as much as like, I would argue like as much as half of what you were eating just because you're eating such voluminous foods that are not calorically dense. And then, then you get eventually get hungry and you start to crave, you know, fats and sugar and just like, you know, really rich foods. And I, that's one thing that could happen. The other thing that could happen is if you're just eating like say a ton of fruit, you know, you're, you might, you know, food has calories and you could wind up eating really dense foods and having even less on your plate. So I think, I think it's a matter of figuring out just what you're eating. Are you eating, are, are, you, are you filling up your plate with calorically dense foods or are you filling up your plate with voluminous foods? If you're filling up your plate with calorically dense foods, then you know, <laughs> um, you're gonna wind up overeating uh, basically. If you're filling your uh, plate up with voluminous foods, then you might think that you're overeating, but you're actually undereating. But until you actually keep a food journal and take it down, it's kind of hard to know what direction to advise. So that, that would be my suggestion. Uh, second question of the day. Can you share a sample daily list of foods you eat? Ready to get into this, just struggling with ideas. Thanks. All right, yeah, so I can run through a day of food for myself lately. Uh, it varies a little bit day to day, but I'll give you the gist. So lately I've been waking up and I've been having a protein shake with um, a small banana, a cup of soy milk, and a scoop of chocolate plant fusion. And then I will have a small bowl of oatmeal with it, sometimes with raisins, sometimes with fruit. Um, then we'll go train, and that's usually a few hours that we're there training. And actually, I've been having these nature's, nature's path. Nature's bakery, maybe? Nature's bakery. I don't know. They're like Fig Newtons, basically. And I, There's two of them. They're big ones. Um, and I've been having a package of those post-workout. And then we come home. And then I usually have two veggie burgers, Boca burgers. Yep. Old school, 1993 Boca burgers are still bomb in my opinion. So I'll usually have two Boca burgers on regular hamburger buns with ketchup and mustard. And I made like a chickpea salad that kind of tastes like egg salad, but it's made with chickpeas. I'll have that on the side. Usually in the mid afternoon or late afternoon, I should say, I'll have some kind of fruit, whether it's berries or apples or nectarine or pineapple, but I usually have some fruit in the afternoon. And then dinner is almost always some combination of protein, potato, and vegetable. So I love Beyond Meat. I like the Morningstar Farm chicken strips, but lately it's just been tofu. So I'll have like a whole block of tofu <laughs> and a small sweet potato, like a medium sweet potato, and a couple cups of broccoli. And then sometimes at night I'll have like a cookie or a small bowl of non-dairy ice cream. Um, and then yeah, I would say sometimes I have like just a spoonful of nut butter that my friend Pasha sends me. It's the most delicious nut butter in the entire world. 
you guys can't have any. So just sends it to me. <laughs> I can't um, even have any, right? So <laughs> let's just put that out there. Um. Anyway, so basically that amounts to be about tw- between 2150 and 2200 calories a day right now. And it's about 260 grams of carbs, 60 to 65 grams of fat, and about 130 grams of protein. And that's about where I'm at right now. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Vegan Proteins Muscles by Brussels Radio. If you have any questions or you just want to reach out to us between now and the next episode, feel free to reach out to us on any social media platform. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Vegan Proteins and at Muscles by Brussels. So let us know if you have any questions because uh, we will try to answer them on the next podcast episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. My name is Danny. And I'm Giacomo. And we will talk to you soon. Ta-da!